In the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to John, John, he, he writes of this, of this scene that, that I believe is a, an image that has been embedded in his mind for his entire adult life. John writes the, the Gospel of John, I would say, some seven decades after the events. I would say that as John is, is writing his Gospel account, he takes uh, into consideration that we already have the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. And John, he, he, writes as a, he writes as an old man. He writes as an old man thinking back. Thinking back to those things that he experienced firsthand, most likely in the upper room in John chapter 13. Most likely in the upper room, John is the youngest man at the table. Most likely of Jesus' apostles, John is the youngest. And yet as he writes these words, he, he thinks back and he's, he's, he's writing about those things that he's experienced. He's thinking back as, a, as an older man, thinking about those things that were formative to him as a young man, and thinking about the, those crucial moments in the upper room. In the upper room on the night before, before the cross. I think John, in, as he writes these words, as he's, as he's wanting to communicate as he's wanting to communicate to believers then, and as he, wanted, as he wants to communicate to believers today, I think John, as he writes these words, as he, puts, as he puts pen to paper, as he puts quill to papyrus, John being the only apostle left, because church tradition, tradition would tell us that all of the others have been martyred for their faith. John, he gives us this, this scene, this image. He presents to us this image that we find, that we see nowhere else in Scripture. And it's the image of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Let me begin in verse 1 of John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Your version may read, he loved them to the end. But I love the way that the NIV puts it. He showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. John wants to communicate effectively to us. Jesus is in complete control. Jesus knows precisely what's happening. Jesus is intentional in what He's doing. He knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and He knew He was returning to God. And so because of all that, He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing and 
wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skipping down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. And you call me Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and your teacher, now that I have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This morning, I thought that we'd just simply spend our time focusing upon the call within Scripture to serve our Lord. Living lives, living lives in service to our King. We spent six weeks focused upon, centered upon the, the call to reach out and to evangelize. And so it just made sense to follow that with a focus, an intentional focus upon, upon serving. And when you look to the Bible, there's probably no better text to begin with, with an emphasis upon serving. There's no better text to begin with than the scene of Jesus on the night before the cross providing us with both a command to serve and also with the perfect example of serving. When you look to the other gospel accounts, you, 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 get, you gain all of this insight into what takes place in the upper room. Jesus, as He's there with His disciples, Matthew and John write from first-hand experience. There's also an argument to be made that perhaps Mark was even in the room. They all give different perspectives to what takes place in the upper room. But Matthew and John, Matthew and John, we know they're at the table. And they experience the things that take place there at the table. And, and John, he's intentional in the language that he use, uses whenever he says that this is the table of Passover. As Jesus, as he, as, he takes the, as he takes the unleavened bread, and as He takes the wine from the table, as He implements communion, the Lord's Supper, there in the upper room, as He says, do this in remembrance of Me, He takes those elements from the table of Passover. And all of the things that are taking place surrounding these moments prior to Jesus and His followers leaving this upper room in Jerusalem and crossing Jerusalem and going to the, the garden to pray where Jesus will be arrested. And who knows, who knows what prompts Jesus to do this? Some speculate that there were no servants there, and so Jesus takes it upon Himself to, to take on this role of servant for all of them. That perhaps, perhaps no one was there who wanted to take this, this demeaning task upon themselves. And so, whether consciously or unconsciously, it might be that they, they all refuse to take upon themselves this task, and then immediately, immediately as Jesus begins to wash their feet, 
as they one by one begin to see what Jesus is doing as, as, he's, as he's taken upon this role of servant, immediately they all think to themselves, even though they had refused to do it, whether consciously or unconsciously, immediately they all think to themselves, oh, why didn't I do that? Hashtag, now I look like a jerk in front of Jesus, right? All of those guys. You know, they had to have that come across their mind. Peter, he even stops Jesus. As Jesus stoops at his feet and he stops him and he says, no, not me. Don't, no, not me. I don't deserve it. Of course, Jesus explains to him there's a bigger picture at work. And it's not the foot washing itself. It's not the foot washing itself. It's it's not the foot washing that's a mandate as some fundamentalist groups have advocated. It's serving. It's serving. It's having kingdom eyes to see what needs to be done. And then to do whatever that is for the greater purposes of the kingdom of God. And for us, if we can simply, if we can put ourselves in the position of these apostles for a moment, with Jesus at our feet, serving, it's recognizing what Christ has done for us, and then doing what we do out of a response to what He's done for us. These verses here toward the end of these, this passage that I read, verses 15 through 17, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. When we serve, we serve out of a greater calling. And we can apply this premise at many levels. We serve because of the example that He set for us. We serve because Jesus has set an example for us and He's given us this command. And when you think about it, sometimes we'll use, the language that we use is, is, is needed for intentionality. We'll, we'll use the word serving, but we'll also use the, maybe the language of volunteering. And serving and volunteering, those are two different things. The word volunteering kind of carries with it this notion of, well, it's kind of optional whether or not I do this. But the language of service means this is out of duty. This is out of obligation. This is out of, in considering this text here, this is out of a response. I serve out of a response to the call of Jesus and the example of Jesus to serve. Serving is not optional. Because we serve others because of, and we serve others out of, what our Lord has done for us. Does that make sense? And when you're open, and when you're motivated by the Spirit, it doesn't take looking very far before you find opportunities to do precisely what Jesus has called you to do. Whatever it is that He's calling you to do. If you're open... To God and to His Spirit and to opportunities. God's going to present those opportunities to serve. Serving as a part of a community of faith. When you think about this church family and what it means to be a part of Eastridge, 
our, our God has given us so many different opportunities to serve. We've got, we've got VBS, Vacation Bible School, coming up one week from today, right? Sunday night through Wednesday night, each one of those evenings, this is something that we invest into and do every year as a church family. It's a, it's a way of teaching and instructing and connecting to and blessing our own children. And it's also a way to reach out and to impact the community around us, because there are going to be kids next Sunday night through Wednesday night here. There, there are children in our community whose parents bring them here every year. And they are here four nights a year. They're, they may not be connected to a church home. They may not be someplace Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But we have this opportunity to serve and to minister and to impact children each year through, through this outreach we call Vacation Bible School. And yet, being one week, one week away, there are still all sorts of opportunities to, to serve. If you were to go online, eastridge.cc, to look for opportunities to serve, they're still there. And we're seven days away. We, we've been talking lately about, uh, about cool kids and just how important cool kids. And I know sometimes if a child doesn't walk out, you think, okay, are they not cool? But you know, cool kids, crazy over our Lord, this time for our young people, those that fit within those age parameters to go and to have a lesson. And, and, and yet we've been talking, especially in recent months, about the need for teachers within that group. And, I, and, and admittedly, it's, a, it's kind of an ever-growing, all-increasing sort of thing. Some of you are involved in cool kids. Some of you have been involved in cool kids. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to manage if we're just being honest for a moment. Because you think about you have, you have these different age groups and you have different teachers. You have multiple teachers for each age, age group 52 Sundays a year. And just how there's this need for an investment, which is what it is. There's a need for an investment into our children. You think about our children's classes and, and how, how there's, a, there's a need for teachers for our children's classes. You think about coming up here in a, in a couple of months in, in September, we'll start back over with our, with our small groups, right? And I'm telling you, if... if if you were to go to one of our three deacons that coordinates small groups and say to them, you know, I realize that you guys are revamping over the summer and coming up in September, you've got, you're going to have nine months of small groups. I'd like to host a small group. If they, had, if they had five people, those three deacons had five people come up to them after services today and say, I'd like to host a small group, I'm telling you, all three of those guys would pass out. Just opportunities to serve. And I realize that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run out of runway here. And, I, and we have listed, we have 120 different ministries here. And so maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, I sure hope he gets to mine. I'm telling you, it, it, we couldn't list all of them. We don't have enough time. All these different ways of, of serving. I guess one more to think about the community garden that we have. Maybe if you're looking for a way to be able to get plugged into the community, community, community garden. And it, and it precisely is that. It is, a way, it, is, it is designed to be able to... The, the produce goes to, the, to people within our community through helping hands. And also it's designed as a way for, for folks from our community who hear about it from us to come and to serve and to maybe work alongside of Christians 
even if and especially when they don't have a church, a church home. And you say, well, what time? Right now on Saturdays, and you're like, what time on Saturday do I need to come? I'm telling you, there are some of these old men, you cannot beat them there early enough on Saturday morning. Just show up on a Saturday morning. Not going to name any names. Serving. And finding those ways, those God-designed ways to serve within the context we find ourselves. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, when it comes to serving, there are, there are some extremes. And I'm going to give you two examples. There are extremes as to why maybe I'm not willing to plug in. Why I'm not willing to serve. One of those extremes is the response, I've done my time. I've done my time. Which kind of sounds like prison whenever you think about it, right? I've, I've done my time. 20 years in pre-K, I've done my time. I've done my time. Well, now hold on a second. So what you're telling me is that you've been a faithful Christian for decades. You've been a faithful believer for, I don't know, fill in the blank, 50 years. And now, all of the kids are out of the house, and you're retired, and you have more time than you've ever had before in your life, but you've done your time. Think about how that sounds. Now, another extreme, another extreme to serving, I'm here to be served. I'm just here to come here and sit and leave. Jason, you are lucky that I'm here. Now, we may not say that, right? We may not use that language. We may not say that. But there's this extreme of, I'm just just here to to be served. Sometimes it's the question of, how can this church benefit me? Which we'd never come right out and say. And to be honest, that is a question that as a church family, we need to answer. For folks coming here. And yet when maturity comes. And commitment comes. Again, think about how that sounds. How can this church benefit me? Two extremes. To paraphrase JFK, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. And so there's this fine line, right? There's this, there's this balance between spreading yourself too thin which is a real thing, right? It's not a healthy thing because you can do it because I'm looking out in this room and and if we had a choir, I'd be preaching to the choir because I know that there's many of you that have and do spread yourself too thin. We can do that. But there's a fine line between spreading yourself too thin which can become unhealthy and being stingy with your service to the Lord. We have so many opportunities to serve. Jesus says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed, divinely favored by God, if you do them. Serving is a key component of being a part of the body of Christ. Serving is a key component of being a part of the body of Christ that meets here at Eastridge. And please don't hear me saying that serving is relegated 
only to the things that we do within the context of this church family. That's certainly not the case. But there's a biblical expectation. Not only that we're going to be a part of a church family, but there's also a biblical expectation to serve in some way. Because if we're not careful, we can become consumers of church rather than disciples of Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 He'll say, the Son of Man, referring to Himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, this is what I'm about. And maybe within that He asks the question, what are you about? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I think about the, the Middle Ages and those who pledged themselves to, uh, to serve a king in a feudal sort of system, in particular in Europe. And I, and I recognize that maybe that sort of idea for some, it's been idealized uh, all these years later. But there's something noble, is there not? In living one's life, in humble service for another, in living one's life in humble service to their king. And that's the kingdom of God. That's that's the kingdom that we're a part of as believers. As subjects of the kingdom of God, our service is out of allegiance to our king. And as servants, we do what we do. We do what we do because of what he has done for us. And we also do it because he commands us to do it. So that we might impact others. And that the world around us might be transformed by our being servants. Our service, it's derived out of a, out of a joy in serving our King. And also out of a faithfulness that simply isn't optional. Living life in service to the King of the Kingdom. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, he, He's talking about eternity. And he, he gives us this, this description of eternity and the king addressing the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And he'll say there were, there were those who, who cared for and loved and blessed and ministered to others. And then there were those who didn't care for, love, or minister to, or, 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 or bless others. And he, he's describing for them, the audience then, and he's describing for us today this image of eternity. And he says there were those who, who served and who ministered and those who, who didn't. And ultimately, Jesus says, we either do those things or don't do those things unto him. That somehow, as we serve others, whoever it is that we're serving, Somehow we're doing those things unto Him. And, and for us to have that sort of faith and that sort of conviction takes clarity. Jesus says, you either do or don't do these things unto Me. To the faithful, to the righteous, verse 40, the King will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, and think about that language, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for Me. Somehow, as we look others in the eyes, to have the presence of mind to, in that moment, to think to ourselves, Jesus is within them. 
And as I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm doing these things, yes, for them. Yes, because I'm following an example. Yes, because I'm doing, following the commands of Jesus. But I'm also doing these things unto Him. And suddenly that gives us such purpose and meaning. Mother Teresa, because contrary to current culture, you can admire a person's life without completely agreeing with them at every point. And if I only quoted from those that I fully agreed with, I'd only quote from me, right? (laughs) She writes this. The highest form of worship is to find the least among you and treat them like Jesus. Sounds a little bit like Romans chapter 12 where the Apostle Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual service to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul in Romans 12 says this is worship. Mother Teresa, this is the highest form of worship. John, he wrote there in John chapter 13 that Jesus... He showed them the full extent of His love. And I want to argue with John. I want to say, no, John, that doesn't come until the next morning. The full extent of His love, that's when He's nailed to the cross. And yet John says, there in the upper room, as Jesus serves, that's when He showed us the full extent of His love. During her ministry, very often individuals would contact Mother Teresa, and asked to join her in Calcutta, India to minister to the sick and the impoverished. Shane Claiborne, he's an author that you may or may not be familiar with. In the mid-90s, Claiborne, he, uh, he called Calcutta from a payphone. He describes it was 2 a.m. while he was a student at Wheaton College in Illinois and this is the mid-90s, and he dropped $4 worth of quarters into a payphone every minute. Some of you are going to have to explain to some others what a payphone is. But Claiborne at 2 a.m. in Wheaton, Illinois, while he's at Wheaton College, he dropped $4 worth of quarters into a payphone as he called the mission there in Calcutta. And finally, she came to the phone, and she agreed for him to come to Calcutta for the summer. She would pass away just a few years later in 97. Here's my point for all of this. I'm told that that Mother Teresa would oftentimes receive requests for folks to come and to serve in Calcutta, India with her. And she received so many requests that time and time again, she would turn people away. And she would encourage them to go and serve elsewhere. And her response when she turned people away was this. There are Calcuttas everywhere. Go and find your Calcutta. And so that's my final question today. For us, as servants of the Lord, what's that look like for you? Where's your Calcutta? Where's your Calcutta? There are Calcuttas everywhere. Go and find your Calcutta. Serving people in service to the King. Serving, serving's worship. Serving 
connects us to Jesus. Serving obeys the command of Jesus to serve. Serving follow Jesus' example as the ultimate servant. And at the end of the day, serving isn't optional. Where's your Calcutta? Go and find your Calcutta. This morning I pray that each and every one of us would orient ourselves in the direction of serving our Lord who came not to be served, but to serve. As always, we want to offer a time of invitation and response. Maybe this is one of those sermons that you just think, I don't know, this is just one of those sermons that maybe just needs to sit for a moment. But it could be that perhaps with where you're at in life that you feel compelled to respond to the Gospel of Jesus. And we want to offer that opportunity. If you've never been baptized into Christ, I pray that you wouldn't leave here this morning without having, without having done so. Come forward as we stand and as Tony leads us in song.